We'll begin with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Father, we so thank we're so thankful, Lord, that we are here tonight and able to come and focus on your word. Lord, as we at this point put out of our mind distractions and other things that would take us away from your infallible word. We pray that your spirit will give us wisdom, enlighten us, make us aware of your divine presence. In this we ask the name of Jesus and for these blessings. Amen. Alright, we, we have been studying the baptism of the spirit. And we began with an introduction last week. We covered uh, some passages in the book of Acts dealing with the baptism of the Spirit and when it first came and what happened to those believers who were there. One thing that was significant last week was that we discovered that when uh, the prophecy in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 I believe it was where it says, John truly baptized with water but you will be baptized uh, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I just want to read that one more time to refresh our memories a little bit. Uh, yeah, one... It's probably not eight. Oh, eight says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. But before that, in five, the verse I was quoting was, For John baptized with water, Acts 1, 5, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is the same thing as what we read in 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Then you will, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we, what we realize from this is that the baptism of the Spirit sort of characterizes these new ministries of the Spirit. We notice that the baptism of the it's called here the baptism of the Spirit, but it's also where they would receive power. Now the power comes from not the baptism of the Spirit, but the filling of the Spirit. And we read in Acts also, in Acts chapter 2, when the, when the Holy Spirit did come, He also brought gifts. We saw that people spoke in tongues. Tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. He also, it says He would be in them. So that is a reference to the indwelling of the Spirit. Here it says it would be on them and that's a reference to the filling of the Spirit. So what we realize from this is that this prophecy, even though it focuses or it uses the baptism of the Spirit as its uh, general term, we know that it embodies much more than just the baptism of the Spirit. Now we've been studying the ministries of the Spirit, the seven ministries of the Spirit. And just to, to recap, we talked about common and efficacious grace as one. We talked about indwelling, uh, regeneration. We talked about the filling of the Spirit, the, the sealing of the Spirit. Then we did uh, gifts of the Spirit and now we're on the, the seventh ministry which is the baptism of the Spirit. So all of those we covered and 
These are ministries that we say. And now these ministries began in Acts chapter 2. When it, and they are all characterized by... Uh, well, not all of them began, because some of them, they were already saved. They were already regenerated. They were common and efficacious grace. That's a ministry of the Spirit. That was already happening, uh, although in a new way. It says, when He has come... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's John 16, 8 through 10, you know. So the Holy Spirit has a new ministry of convicting. Uh, that's common and efficacious grace. So we, we can expect that most of the things old are brand new that come from the Spirit. So then we began to discuss the baptism of the Spirit in particular. And we already said that many times when you read of these events and acts, it is just like it says. These are the acts of the apostles. And in the sense that this is what they did. This is what happened. But it doesn't explain why this happened. Why did they speak in tongues? Why did they receive the, this power? Why did um, uh, they, were they baptized with the Spirit? It doesn't give, go into all those details. So what we want to do is learn from the scriptures, let the scriptures teach us what the significance of these things are. Especially now, our focus is the baptism of the Spirit. So with that said, we will focus our attention on what does it mean. Uh, all the things we covered last week, you must also keep those in mind. But I uh, first want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, you may have to follow along quickly with me because we're going to be moving out. We're going to, we're, we're going to be going fast. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to talk about something that creates in us unity. And Paul recognized the need for unity in the early church. This is what he says in 4.1 and following. As a prisoner of for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Notice, with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. Notice he's talking about unity here. There is one body, not two bodies of Christ, one body of Christ. That's it. In the whole world. Imagine that. One body of Christ in the entire world. We ought to have unity, shouldn't we? I mean, knowing that wherever believers are, they are part of that same one body. That's important to know. That tells us that we are connected to every other believer that is on the earth. And we ought to recognize that connection and begin to live our lives with, with cognizance or recognizing that other believers are here and we ought to fellowship, comfort, pray for uh, these believers. So there is one body and one Spirit. One Holy Spirit. That's it. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who creates us in Christ. And we'll, we'll see that later just as you were called to one hope. There is one hope, one destiny. When, I say, when it says hope here, I look at this as destiny. 
when it says one hope, this is the absolute confidence that this is who we are. That we have been called to something. And this is why it says in, in the first verse that we ought to live our life, a life worthy of the calling to which we already receive. That calling is the position and the destiny that God has placed in our lives. And that's what it means. That we, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, we know who the Lord is. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. One faith. Now this faith is not simple believing in Christ faith, saving faith. This, is, this faith refers to the body of truth that we as church age believers possess. There's one faith. That's it. One body. Of, see, just like it says one body, and there's one faith, one body of truth that that one body would think. So God didn't just let us just go out and, uh, you know, there's Israel and all these other thoughts. He says, you know, there's one body, and that one body has specific information just for them. That's what it is. One baptism. There is one baptism. Now that's where we are. And I read all that to get to this one baptism. What one baptism is there? Is there water baptism? Is that baptism by sprinkling? Is it baptism by immersion? Which is it, What baptism are we talking about here? Spirit baptism. Exactly. One baptism. Why, and we illustrated this last week. Why? Spirit baptism is the baptism that is most significant. In fact, John, as the passage in one five says, John truly baptized with water. Now that's okay. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So ten days later they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Is that a water baptism? No. Is the Spirit baptism? Did it have anything to do with water? No, not at all. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit and none of them got wet. So we just need to make sure we understand as we approach one baptism that that is the most significant thing. You know how many people are emphasizing water baptism today and how important they think it is. But you know what it does, water baptism? It divides. That's what it does. In fact, I'll come to you in a second. It divides in this way. You look at the early Corinthians. They were fighting about baptism. You know what Paul had to say to them? You know what? I'm glad I didn't baptize none of you. Except for a few I baptized, but I'm glad I didn't have to, I didn't I wasn't a part of that confusion. Go right ahead. What were you gonna say? How come people um how people do the baptism of water? Why do they do it? Oh we're coming to that. We're coming. And this is not to say that the baptism of water was not something that the early church did. They did baptize with water, no doubt. But what we want to do is put it in its proper place. Right? We want to make sure we don't elevate water baptism beyond what its original purpose was. So we need to first understand that spirit baptism is the one baptism that Paul mentions here. And that creates unity. What did water baptism do? It created division. Didn't it? What does it do in our age? You know, denominations, people have been divided because of water baptism. You, you got the Baptists over here. You got people over here that say, uh, 
Yeah, we're baptizing babies. And these people say, yeah, we're only sprinkling people. That's good. And another one say, you've got to be baptized by immersion. You've got to be dunked under the water. All these different things people come up with divide. They divide. But this baptism, as we shall see, unites us. It makes us one. Now, so we talk, we're here in, in four. What are we talking about? Unity. So there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called. There is one hope. So it can't cause division. If you understand that one hope and I understand that one hope, we are on the same page. As you were called, one Lord. Well, if there's not many lords, I don't have... What Jesus are you serving? I'm serving the Lord. Are you serving the Lord? Then we have the same Lord. One faith. You shouldn't be believing things that are different from the body of truth that we have all received. That's why it says we ought to contend for the truth once for all delivered to the saints. One baptism. When he says one baptism, he's trying to let us know we shouldn't be divided over baptism because there's but one baptism. And this baptism has nothing to do with you. This is what God does. God baptizes every one of us in Christ. One baptism at when you were called. Uh, I'm sorry. And then it, fin- it finishes with one God and Father of all who was over all and in all. We, we have to have unity when it comes. This is what Paul is stressing when it comes to our conduct here on earth. How we treat one another. Should, we should be unified and, and, and present a united front to the world of unbelievers. Okay, so we talked about uh, water baptism last week and its significance and nobody can ever be saved by water baptism uh, water baptism does add, adds nothing to your salvation at all it is not a means of gaining a relationship with God it, it teaches though spirit baptism if one baptism is the spirit baptism then water baptism must be a training aid or a teaching aid to uh, illustrate what has happened on the inside of you because spirit baptism is something that happens on the inside so let's look at this in a little more detail what about this baptism what is it all about now let's go to what happens when we talk about being baptized by the spirit now we said that baptism means there's a word that baptism means that we have come up with and to help us understand it better. Anybody remember what that word is? Mm, no. No. That word that helps us understand baptism. And it's this one, remember? Okay. Identification. We are identified. One object is identified with another object so that the properties of the one object are changed into the properties of the other object. Okay? So think about it like this. Think about it like you have a, a red cloth and you have a bucket or a white cloth and you have a bucket of red ink and when you dip that red cloth or the white cloth into that bucket of red ink what's going to happen to the cloth? it's going to be changed it's going to soak up that ink and the color of that 
cloth is going to be changed to the color of the bucket in, of red ink. So what happened? Did the red ink change? No. The cloth changed. And that was what was significant. The, the cloth was identified with the ink so that the properties of the cloth changed to the properties of the ink. And in the same way, we were identified with the person of Christ so that what we were essentially was changed to the properties that match now the properties of Christ. Okay, how, how will we illustrate that? Well, let's look at a couple of verses. Um, let's go to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians chapter 3. And we'll read verse 26 and following. Galatians 3, 26 and following. It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Notice, baptized into Christ. Now, we were baptized into Christ. Now, this baptized into Christ, is that water baptism or is that spirit baptism? Spirit baptism. How do we know for sure? There is another verse. Hold your finger there. No, I'll turn to it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. I'll just read it for you. You don't have to go there. I want you to stay there in Galatians. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says... For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So this says there's no um, discrimination when it comes to those who were baptized by the Spirit. Jews were baptized by the Spirit. Greeks or Gentiles can be baptized by the Spirit. We were all, all believers are baptized by the Spirit. And where are we baptized into? One body, the body of Christ. Now that baptized means we are identified with Christ so that we become a part of what He is. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So back to Galatians, we just read that we were all sons of God through faith in Christ. That's how we got to be sons of God, by believing in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not a matter of us boasting that we are in Christ or we're sons. It is grace that saves us. And this grace, it says we're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And for all of us who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Christ, you look just like Christ looks. See? To God, that is. Now, eventually, because remember, who God, He looks at the heart. So, He, he doesn't see the outward appearance. Because you know what? I look the same as I did before. But eventually, my outward appearance will match my inward appearance. So, But God notices now, we have being baptized into Christ, we have clothed ourselves. We have put on Christ. There, verse 28, is neither Jew nor Greek. Now get this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Slave nor free. 
male nor female. Let's take that apart for a minute. You know how many times you've read that? A lot of times. But how many times have you stopped to think about what that's saying? There is neither Jew nor Greek. Greek here is representative of Gentiles. So you could say, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. No more in the body of Christ. Can you imagine that? So if you were Jewish, you are no longer Jewish. What is the body of Christ like? Certainly not Jewish because once you are in the body of Christ, you've been baptized into the body of Christ, you are no longer Jewish. And you are no longer a Gentile. Isn't that interesting? A lot of you are Gentiles. And that is not who you are anymore. You are now in Christ. God has created something in you brand new. So those were distinctions when you were in Adam. In Adam, you might have been a Jew or you might have been a Gentile. But in Christ, you are neither Jew or Gentile. Then it says, slave or free. You know, this is a big deal for some. And there were many slaves in the, in the Roman Empire. But you know what? The master could be saved and, and he would be baptized into the body of Christ. And the slave could be saved and he would be baptized in the body of Christ. But you know what? In the body of Christ, they're not master and slave. They're not. They're just members together of one body. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man. doesn't matter your social status. You are in Christ. Male nor female. You know, male nor female can also represent the fact that we are all the body of Christ. And having, being the body of Christ, we have the same role, don't we? We belong to Christ. That's all to it. And if you look at it with the husband and wife analogy, and you know how um, the wife is subject to her husband, well, we are subject to Christ. That doesn't matter whether you are male or female, does it? He's the Lord. And you could say, if you want to, that you know you have some sort of authority, but in Christ, Christ is the Lord. That's who, who it is. Not anybody else but Him. So let's go back to Galatians and let's continue. Um, you are all one in Christ, Jesus. Verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. What do you mean you are Abraham's seed? Is that Abraham's descendants? No. Nope. Not at all. Nope. How do we know? Let's look at verse 16. 16. What does it say? So who's the seed? Christ. Christ, okay. Now people want to read that and say, oh, I'm a descendant of Abraham. No, that's not it at all. When he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, what he's saying is, you are Christ. That is heavy, isn't it? You think about that. You are Abraham's seed. And, you know, just to point this out, that it is to the seed. And who's the seed? We are the seed. And what is he saying about us? He's saying that we are so identified with Christ that we are said here to be the seed. Excuse me, Pastor Pussy. If you had not went back 
to that scripture. Mm -hmm. Some people probably would have walked out of here saying, oh, I know what that says, the seed, and kept that in their mind. The seed still would have been right. exactly what they right. said. But when you went back there and showed it mm -hmm. exactly what Khan said. Well, there it is. And, and you know what? The apostle wants to make a point. See, he's trying to make a point. So, so you know, if you don't get that point he's making, well, then you just missed it. You just missed out on a blessing that he's trying to, to give us. And I think this is a great blessing for us to be called the seed. <laughs> that is, and, and you know what that refers us back to? What we're talking about here, baptism. How, to what extent is our identification with Christ? Well, it is to such a great extent that he even says that we are Abraham's seed. I know many people looked at that and said, oh, yeah, that means just we're Abraham's descendants. You know, we're spiritual Israel, or all these different things they said. But no, it can't be spiritual Israel. I said earlier, there's neither Jew nor Greek. So it has nothing to do with Abraham being Jewish or, or any of that. This has to do with the fact that God is trying to tell you how much and to what extent you have been identified with the person of Christ. That you are said to be Abraham's seed. And, and he continues just to let you know that we're on the right track. Watch. And heirs according to the promise. Now why are we an heir? What are we, who are we an heir of? Uh, actually God but we are heirs with Christ that's true but we are heirs of God now if you keep reading down a little further it says I just want to bring that out look at verse 6 because you are sons this is logic of Paul God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba Father so you are no longer a slave but a son and since you are a son since you are a son God has also made you an heir. We are an heir because of the, by virtue of the fact that we're sons. That's it. And, and you can't get around that. You really can't. And if you read Romans, it says the same sort of logic. You stay there in Galatians. Uh, Romans 8 uses the same logic. Glad we have time to look at these things. And that's good. So Romans 8, and it says, um, look at 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. We just talked about that. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Paul begins with the same sort of reasoning. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are His children, then we are heirs. Heirs of, there it is, God. We are heirs of God. That's amazing. Astounding. God would make us His heir. Why are we an heir? We've got to look at uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. I told you we were going to get some working out tonight with these scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1. And let me read it for you. Now, if it's going too fast for you, then you could just listen. And, you know, you'll have it then. And it's Hebrews 1. It says, In the past, 
God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed, whom he has appointed, get this, heir of all things. So who's the heir? Christ is the heir. Why are you an heir? Because we belong to Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. We are now identified with Christ, so much so that God calls us an heir. We just saw where He called us the seed, right? What are we? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Well, you're so identified with Christ that you are said to be Christ Himself. You are identified with the person of Christ. First uh, Corinthians 6. He that is joined to the Lord, and that's what we are, joined to the Lord, Jesus Christ, has become one with Him in spirit. Thus shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two, the two will become what? One flesh. What's he talking about? Marriage? This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. The two shall become one. That one, that becoming one, that merging, that binding, has to do with the baptism of the Spirit. That's how we got to, to this position of where we are merged together with Christ. Now we are one. Now, now that's one aspect of the baptism of the Spirit. It's huge, but I want to also focus your attention on Romans chapter 6. Because now we're going to deal with Romans chapter 6. Probably the greatest passage of Scripture on the baptism of the Spirit. About how it frees us from the dominion and slavery of the sin nature and, and Adam. So we're going to start reading in Romans 6. And I'm just going to go quick, but you stay with me. Hopefully, and if, if I confuse you, just stop me and we'll talk. Okay. Romans 6.1 What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Okay, we have to stop. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Say then to what? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, that goes back to 5. 5.20, really the whole chapter 5, but especially 5.20, the statement that he makes. 5.20 says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Now, what do you mean the law was added? Well, before Adam, when between Adam and Moses, there was no law. The law came right there with Moses. So when it says the law was added, it came on the scene Right? So that, what was the reason for the law to come on the scene? So that the trespass might increase. In other words, the law shows sin. It, it magnifies sin. Okay, you were a sinner before, but you just didn't know it. So here comes the law and says, let me shine the light on your sinfulness. Now you understand that you are a sinner. That's what it means by the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, in other words, where sin abounded or more in abundance because of the, uh, the light that shined on it from the law, grace increased all the more. Now we don't get uh, the, the Greek here because that word is super abounded and then some more on top of that. 
you, you don't get all that in the English. But in the Greek it says, but grace superabounded, and then there was some more on top of that. So sin was on the increase, on the rise, but grace totally eclipsed it, and then took off. That's what this is saying. So, so that, verse 21, as a result of what happened, just as sin reigned in death, sin reigned and ruled over us in spiritual death, remember, therefore by one man sin entered the world and, th- and death through that one man, in this, way, in this way death spread to all men. Just as sin reigned in death, sin is a reference to the sin nature ruling over us, Right? It's not referring to simple acts of sin. It's referring to the fact that we have a nature that propels us to sin. That's what it means. It rules in death. It reigns in death. So also, grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that was 5, 20, and 21, or through 20, whatever. And then in 6, 1, this is where he says... What shall we say then? Say then to what I just said. Paul is postulating and, and giving you reasoning for... Um, he's really thinking, what would others say to what I just taught? How would others uh, uh, accept what I just taught? What would they think? Well, he's giving you both sides of it. This is the beauty of reading the Apostle Paul. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning? Now, go on sinning means, in this context... Continue the relationship with our sin nature like we were when we were unbelievers so that grace might increase. Well, if, if sin increases, grace increases all the more, why don't we just let that happen? Why don't we just go out and sin more so that grace can just continue to increase over us? Why don't we just continue to live up under the sin nature and then let grace reign over, you know, increase over us? So that's a really uh, a silly question. It's a silly question. So Paul says, by no means that we shouldn't do that. No way. Away with the thought. Don't even let it cross your mind. Now look at the answer to what he says. This is where the rubber hits the road in our understanding. Paul doesn't say, we shouldn't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. He's not just saying that. He says, this is the reason why we died to sin. We died to sin. I always have a little fun with this because just to make sure people understand what this means. Does everybody know what this means? Anybody? You died to sin. Did you die to sin, first of all? Yes. You died to sin? So what does that mean? You don't sin anymore? I may act out on you know, bad habits. So that that's not sin anymore? <laughs> no, Christ has died for all sins before and after. But if I happen to, um, but, you know, if I, I'm dead to sin, if I happen to be, I mean, just act out a bad habit, it was, it's only a bad habit now. You know, so what, is it not really sin? It's, it's, it's sin, but it's been painful. So, but it's sin? Every sin in the whole world has been paid for. So that's not the issue. It's still sin. No, no, I'm listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to tie you in knots, but I am. But I am. <laughs> Go ahead. You sure? Okay. So, who's here dead to sin? I am. I'm dead to sin. 
Your sin nature is dead. Yeah, once you accept Christ, mm -hmm. you no longer are ruled by your sin nature. It might pop up every now and then because we're in the flesh. Mm -hmm. We are in the flesh? Well, we walk in this, we're supposed to walk in the spirit, mm -hmm. not in the flesh. Mm -hmm. But we're, the flesh is weak. He told the disciples that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But he meant they kept falling asleep. Actually. <laughs> Remember, he said they couldn't. They couldn't even wait an hour. Said, then he said, "Boy, they want to stay awake, but boy, they just." Sleeping. We have we have God's nature now. Okay. We only have the Adamic nature. Jeanette's on the right track here. This is it, All right? So people look at. I'm wondering how people look at this verse. You know what? They don't even look at it. They read right over it. They don't care. I don't have to explain that. I'll just read right over it. I'm still curious about <laughs> So, But I, I want you to look at the Bible. Okay. See? Because the Bible says what it says. We can't change it around because it doesn't fit what we think. Now, I'm not saying you did that, but that's what people do when they read this verse. They would like it to say, hey, you shouldn't just go on sinning like you did before. That's wrong. You should want to serve God. That's, that's the answer they would like it to say. It doesn't say that answer. That's not the reason. You know what Paul says here? By no means. First of all, away with the thought, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It's impossible. Whatever that person asks is an impossibility. Cannot be done. Paul is saying that as much right here. He said, first of all, you died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? In other words, you can. So what you're saying... I would have stuck with my ass out of it all, right? No, no, not quite. No, I don't believe so. But let's see where. Well, let's see. Your answer is good because we got to learn. We got to come to. But I wanted to. I stopped to ask the question because many people have answers similar to that, and and we want. And through that, we want to learn what the answer is. So the next time you come to this verse, this should mean something to you. Okay, you, or when you hear somebody talking about this verse, man, your ears should perk up. So, what this is, there's some keys to understanding the verse. First of all, we already said that sin here is not a reference to individual acts of sin, but it is a reference to the sin nature. We saw that from chapter 5. The sin nature is what rules over us, as Jeanette said. But then... If it says we died to sin, what that means is we've been separated from the sin nature. Death is a separation. Physical death is a separation. Your soul and spirit are separated from your body. You are in heaven and your body, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You're separated from that. And this death is a separation. This is something God has actually done for you. He has separated you from your sinful nature. That's a hard thing to do. But that is what the baptism of the Spirit does for us. God acts... So here you are in Adam. And what, what is the person like who's in Adam? Well, he's spiritually dead. He's under the wrath of God, condemned because of all that he is. And then he has a sin nature. Sin rules over him. Look at 5... 17, 18, and 19. Three results from Adam that we cannot escape. From 17 says, 
for if by the trespass of one man, one man, death reigned through that one man. So Adam sinned and received spiritual death. His death reigns over you because of what he did. By the, by the one man, trespass of one man, not your trespass, by his trespass, death rules over you. 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, God judged every man because of what Adam did. His one trespass, not your trespasses, one trespass was condemnation for all men. 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, we know who that one man is, it's Adam. What happened? The many were made sinners. That means the sin nature was passed down to every single person in Adam. Not because of your trespass. Didn't they call that something? Um, the fall of man? Right. Adam's original sin is imputed to everybody, to the old sin nature. And the sin nature is passed down to everybody who is in Adam. Absolutely. We are sinners because of Adam. That's the only, the only fall, right? Yes. It's Adam, what he did, yeah. And that's the reason why we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. It's not the reason why we're sinners. We're sinners because we were born sinners by nature. Now, if that's your nature, God is saying, I can't have a relationship with you when you have a nature that is sinful. See, we don't realize that. We think, you know what? The problem is my conduct. If I could just do what God tells me to do, then I'll be right with God. But what you don't realize is that you have a nature that God hates. He will never accept that nature. And that nature will never accept God. So you hate God. That's why it says the sinful mind is hostile to God. Enmity against God. It will never submit to God. So the two are like fighting one another and you have that evil tree in you. So it does not matter what you do. It's a fact that you got that evil tree. So you got the evil tree. Jesus says the evil tree cannot produce good fruit. It cannot produce good fruit. Only a good tree can produce good fruit. That's why we have here those three results. Death, condemnation, and the sin nature come all from what Adam did, not from anything you've done. So these are the results. So when we get to six, he's telling us the work of God in freeing us from these conditions. The first condition is death. Well, in Christ we have life. Eternal life. Sin nature. What about the sin nature? It rules over everybody in Adam, right? Look at verse 20. Or 21. So that, 521, just as sin reigned in death. What do you mean sin? The sin nature. Reigned, ruled over us. In death, it was your master in spiritual death. So also, grace might rule, reign through righteousness in Jesus Christ. So everything is reversed when you're in Christ. Sin's not on the throne anymore in your life. How did God take sin off the throne in your life? And that's the story that we are dealing with in chapter 6. He, and we didn't get to it yet, but He's going to show you how it happened. Well, first of all, it's an impossibility. Once you've been saved, then you're dead to sin. You are separated forever from the sin nature. Paul says, you can't even go back to it if you want to go back to the sin nature. Did you realize that? 
It is no longer your nature. You know, we don't get to change natures. Whatever nature we have, then that's it. We can't say, oh, you know, I don't like this nature. I'd like to have another nature. It won't work. Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? So he's talking about nature there. That's the nature of a leopard. That's the nature of an Ethiopian man. You can't change that. You don't have that power to do that. But God can do it. He can change your nature. And He does it right here. And how? Through the baptism of the Spirit. We shall see. We died to sin. That's what it means. How shall we live in it? How can we live in it any longer? Verse 3. Or do you not know? Now this verse says that what happened in you is not an experience. You didn't know. The Corinthians or Romans here do not know the work that God did in them. But Paul does. And he's teaching them what happened on the inside. They didn't know. That's why it says, Do you not know? And you were asking a question like that. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ... There it is. We're baptized into His death. That's, that's one thing that the atonement does for us that many people don't know. See, And this baptism is what it, it takes us out of Adam and identifies us with Christ. What do we read in 1 Corinthians 12.13? For by one Spirit were we baptized into one body. Same thing here. <clears throat> here it is. Let's read it. We were baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live the new life. So, the baptism, just like with Adam, you are identified with everything about Adam. You share everything Adam has. And how did you get in Adam? You were born in Adam. That's how you you just were born in Adam. And because of your birth in Adam, everything that's true of Adam is true of you. You have Adam's life. You have Adam's Adam's sin nature. Adam's original sin was imputed to you. When he sinned, you sinned. Right? Adam's condemnation comes to you. Adam's unrighteousness comes to you. Everything that's true of Adam, you receive. You are identified with Adam in everything He is. Now God uses the baptism of the Spirit to take you out of Adam and places you in Christ. So what does He do? He cuts you out of Adam and now He identifies you with the person of Christ. So everything that's true of Christ is now true of you. Christ is alive spiritually. You are now alive spiritually and able to live the new resurrection life. Christ has righteousness reigning in grace. You are now in Christ with righteousness reigning and ruling over you. Christ has eternal life. You have eternal life. Christ has everything it says that reverse. Christ is justified and as you are no longer condemned in Adam but you are justified in Christ. Everything is true of you because of your identification in Christ. And it goes all the way back to this. Even when Christ was here and died on the cross you were identified with Christ in His death. That's what it says right here. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death. What do you mean through baptism? We were identified with Christ in His death. 
Just like when Christ died on the cross, He died for all of our sins, every last one of them, past, present, or future. It is as if you were there. It is as if you died on the cross. You were so identified with Christ that you are said to be dead when He died. But since you were dead, since legally you died, Christ died, death or the sin nature has no more legal hold on a person who has died. No more hold. It's just like if you, you are living in this world, you are subject to the rules and conditions of this world. You have to pay taxes, don't you? Right? You make money, the law says you should pay taxes. But what happens when you die? You still have to pay taxes. You're free from that law, right? And in the same way, the sin nature binds everybody who is in Adam. But if you die, you're no longer bound by the sin nature. Well, that's what God did for you. He caused you to be identified with Christ and His death. So watch this. We were therefore, verse 4, Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that why do, we, why do we go down with Christ into the grave just to stay there? no in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father we too may live the new when this new is new with reference to never before seen new life we have a new life that is available to every single person in Christ that's why it says in if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm sure you all heard that verse. Well, that new here is referencing the fact that you are identified with Christ and His life, the new life that He has. You have it. Verse 5, we will continue. It continues to bear this out. If we have been planted with Him like this in His death, and we have, so that if should be since. Since we have been planted or united with Him like this in His death, and we have, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection life. That's the life we have. And the same resurrection that Christ has and was raised far above all principalities and powers and rulers and every name that can be named in this age and not only in this age but in the age to come, we have also been raised with Christ to that same level, says Ephesians 2, 7. We are seated with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 6. For we know that our old self... What do you mean our old self? Our sin nature. It's a reference to the sin nature. What was it? It was crucified. When was your old self crucified? When Christ died on the cross, you now, even though you live after Him, are identified with what He, what he did when He was on the cross. So it's so much so that it is, you are said to be crucified with Him. Now you weren't with Him. I, I thought there was only three crosses up on the hill, wasn't there? How are you with Him? We need more crosses. Right? But no, this is a spiritual union, a spiritual identification. And believe me, the spiritual is more real than what you see physically. So what God did in the spiritual realm is the reality. He's telling you what the reality is about who you are. Our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin... Why, why were we crucified? That the body of sin, the sin nature, might be done away with. You realize that you are no longer a sinner. You're no longer 
a sinner. Now, if I tell you right now, you're no longer condemned, or you say, of course not, I know, I'm, I'm justified. I'm, I'm in, in Christ. I'm, I'm not condemned. But if I tell you, you're no longer a sinner, people recoil at that and they say, wait a minute, but I still sin. See, I still have sins come out every now and then. See, so what you're not seeing is how God understands what a sinner is. A sinner is somebody who's an Adam. A sinner is somebody who is still bound to their sin nature, whose sin nature is still ruling over them. That's a sinner. When you are free from that, you're no longer a sinner because you know what? God gives you a new nature. And the new nature is created after righteousness and holiness. Just to, to be just like God, says Ephesians 4.23. Just like God. It is to be done away with. Do you realize that you can no longer go back to your sin nature? You can no longer. You, don't, you can't switch back and forth. You ever see people, they talk about this whole thing and they say, well, we have two natures. The one nature pulls us this way and the other nature pulls us that way. You ever hear people talk about it like that? You make the decision. You say which nature wins. But you know that's false. It's not so false. I don't want to say it's so heretically false. But it is false in the understanding that you no longer have the sin nature anymore. It is not your nature anymore. You may still act out or act just like you did before. The Corinthians or the Romans here, do you think they knew about it? No. They had to learn about it. Because that's where the power begins to take hold of you. When you begin to understand what God has done for you. You're still walking around, woe is me, this poor sinner. Oh, woe is me. But for the grace of God, there go I. You know, all these things that people say, they don't have any, they don't characterize us at all. That's not who we are. We have been separated forever from the sin nature. We're not sinners anymore. The sin nature would love you to think that it still has rulership and power over you because that's how it exerts its influence. So watch this and you'll see. Watch exactly. We'll continue to read. It's all about your mindset. Verse 7. Well, well, 6. 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that in order that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. It's not happening for us anymore. You're no longer a slave to your sin nature. Verse 7, Because anyone who has died, that's us, we have died with Christ, has been freed from sin. You're no longer in the sin nature. Don't believe it? Want to see what God has done? Turn to Colossians. I know you believe it. I, I'm just speaking out loud here. Colossians chapter 2. We need to read this one. I'm sorry, you have to turn here. Because we, we need this one. To, we need to actually see the words for ourselves. Some people want to see it in black and white before they believe it. Because it, you need to have this in your heart so that it, it motivates everything you do. It gives you confidence. It gives you a spiritual self-esteem so that you understand the work that God has, the assets that you have available to you. You need that. Okay, verse 11. Colossians chapter 2. We're starting at verse 11. So that's uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
Okay, so Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 says, In Him, in who? In Christ, you were also circumcised. Did you know you were circumcised? Did you know that? Even, even though you didn't have a decision. It says you were right here. If you're in Christ, you've been circumcised. That includes women. Okay. In Him you were also circumcised. In the putting off of your sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by hands, physical, of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Notice, it's a surgical operation. What's the circumcision? That's what it is. It's a sur- surgical operation where you cut off the, the, the skin of the phallus, right? And, and, and then what do you do with that skin? You throw it away. You don't save it? Get rid of it. It's to be done away, right? And the same way, this circumcision that is of your heart, where the cutting away, God goes in with His spiritual knife, cuts you out of the sin nature, and then discards the sin nature. That is no longer who you are. It's to be done away. And in fact, can you go back to the old sin nature? It would be just as ridiculous as a man trying to go back and put the, the skin back on his phallus. Would not work will not work. I don't have to emphasize that. It definitely will not work. So here, let's continue on here because it's more done by hands of men, but the circumcision done by Christ. Twelve, having been buried with Him in baptism. Look, it's telling you how it happened. We're talking about the baptism of the Spirit. This is what it does behind the scenes. You don't even know it, but this is what it does. Having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through the faith, your faith, and the power of God who raised Him from the dead. Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, dead, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, that's where God found you. Uncircumcision of your sinful nature means that your sinful nature was bound to you. It was ruling over you. What did God do? God made you alive with Christ. Forgave us all of our sins. Canceled the written cold in this regulations. Why? Because that dealt with people who were still bound to their sin natures. And that was opposed to us. And He took it away, nailing it to His cross. Notice what the baptism of the Spirit does. It's an amazing thing. It actually cuts you out of your sin nature. Cuts you out. You're no longer in it anymore. You got to begin to see yourself. Back to Romans. You got to begin to see yourself for the truth of what you are inside. Then and only then can you walk according to truth when you know truth. If you don't understand this, how can you walk according to it? How can you live a life worthy of the calling to which you've called, been called when you don't know what it is you've been called to? Do you realize that nobody ever had this happen to him before in the Old Testament? Here, when it says, whether in, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. You go back to the Old Testament, guess what there were? There were Jews and there were Greeks, weren't there? Even in the time of Christ, when he walked on the earth, weren't there Jews and Greeks? Absolutely. But here and in Christ now, 
because of this ministry of the Spirit, there is neither Jew nor Greek. This is desert. something has changed. Tremendous change. Never happened before. Unprecedented. And you need to recognize that this is significant. Very significant. Back to Romans and we'll finish out the thought. In fact, the whole Romans 6 deals with this whole thing that I'm telling you about. That's what, it, that's what, that's what the subject of Romans 6 is. This liberated me. This understanding liberated and changed my life completely. I'd never even understood the gospel until I understood Romans 6. That's where I learned the gospel from. Right here. I tell you, my life has been changed ever since, 20 some years ago now. And ever since I understood this, I've been growing in the truth and walking according to these things. And I've been understanding of them. So let's see now. We just read, let's read 7 again, Romans 6, 7. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You have died with Christ. You're freed. No longer a slave. No longer in bondage. You don't have to obey the sin nature anymore. Verse 8. Now, he gives some more reasoning. If we died, and we did, with Christ, we, sh we believe that we will also live with Him. In other words, the fact that we've been so united with Christ in His death... We believe that this, this uniting continues into what Christ... Because Christ is not in the ground. Christ is not like Muhammad. He's dead. I can tell you right now, he's as dead as a doornail. But Christ is alive. He died. Yeah, he did. But he's alive. He's not, living a, uh, he's not a, a dead Savior, a dead Christ. He's a living Savior. So now watch this. You know, since Christ was raised from the dead... He, well, where are we? Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Wow, what does that say about your life? What does that say about your life? If you have the same kind of life Christ has, can you die? You cannot. We're speaking spiritually. We're not talking physically. But when it comes to this new life, the new spiritual life that you have, can it ever be extinguished? Never. Says it right here, doesn't it? Did you get it? Let me read it again. Verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Nobody would disagree with that. Would they? Death no longer has the mastery over Him. But you know what? You are identified with Christ. You cannot die again. That's what he's trying to tell you. Death no longer has a mastery over you. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, oh, he's talking about Christ. You think he's just talking about Christ? No. Look at the next verse, 11. In the same way. In the same way as what? What we just said about Christ. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Does that say it or what? Then verse 11 is very important. You need to underline that verse for sure. Because now, even though He has told you all this, you know what He's saying? You need to adjust your attitude so that it is in line with what I just told you. He says here, in the same way, count, consider, reckon 
yourselves to be dead, even though you don't feel like it. This is true of you. Even though it doesn't seem like you're dead to sin or free from your sin nature, it is the truth. Your sin nature can deceive you. Don't let it deceive you. This is the truth about you. This is who you are. You're not in Adam. Sin nature does not rule over you. I don't care how it feels. I don't care how much you you identify with sin. This is the truth about you. This is it right here. You cannot change it. You do not have the power to change your nature. So this is turning out to be liberating. Eternal security is so much. It's, it's bound up right here in these scriptures. So in the same way, count yourselves dead. Consider yourselves dead, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, watch verse 12, because here's what can happen. Do not let sin. Who's in control? Sin? No. You are in now control. Christ is in control. Grace is ruling over you, right? But guess before, could you let sin reign or not let sin reign? You didn't have a choice, did you? You were a slave to sin. Whatever sin said, do, you did. That was your nature. And everything acts according to its nature. It does what... We talk about animals. Why did the animal do it? Well, that's his nature. That's his nature. God has made a change in you. The only thing you have to do is realize it. This is the, the strength in the spiritual life. So let's continue in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign, rule over you. You can let it rule over you or you cannot let it rule over you in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So is the sin nature still around? Yep, still there. Sin nature is like that bad ex-husband who beat you up all the time. You you got a divorce now, but... The ex-husband is still around. You legally separated, but what happens? The ex-husband comes over at night, knocks on the door, and asks you to come out again and play. And what do you do? No, you've been legally separated. No more. That's it. But we've been separated from our sin nature. It is only seeking to lead us in the path of evil. That's all it does. The sin nature does. Oh, we, we almost got to go here. We got. In fact, we got to wrap it up. So, look at verse thirteen. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, the sin nature. Don't allow the sin nature to use your body as instruments of wickedness. But rather, here's what you ought to be doing with your body: offer yourselves to God as, as those who have been brought from death to life. Haven't you been brought from death to life? Absolutely. What life do you have? New life in Christ. We're going to have to stop here. But this gives us a great understanding of the baptism of the Spirit, doesn't it? Oh, we might want to read... Wow, there's so much more. Six continues to deal with the sin nature as well as into seven. It deals with it in seven. I want to read chapter seven, verses one and following. At least we'll have this so that you can have uh, as you go. Another illustration about the sin nature. Watch this. Seven, one. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by the law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Isn't that true? Now, who's the players here? Well, the players are the law, the woman, and the man. Who's the woman? We will find out that we are the woman. Who's the man? The man is the sin nature. Well, just like in a marriage relationship, the husband is the head of the wife. The husband has the authority in the relationship. So, the husband rules over the wife. And so, the sin nature rules over us as we're unbelievers. And the law looks at that relationship and says, Condemned. Condemned. And, it, and there's nothing that you can do to change it because of who you're married to. Now watch this, verse 3, So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. Look at this. You can't have two natures. You can't have two wives. You can't. Or two husbands. You'd be called an adulteress. That's against the law. See that, And the analogy is, you can't have the sin nature and the righteous nature all together. It won't work. You've got to get rid of the one, then you can have the other one. Watch this. She'd be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, this is what it means by we died, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Now look at the analogy. Verse 4, So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit unto God. Do you know, you can't bear fruit while you're in your sin nature. You can't. you got to wait until God has done this work in you, so that now you can bear fruit unto God. Because now you have a righteous nature, created after righteousness and holiness. Anything you did before, guess where it came from? Your sin nature. Now you can bear fruit to God. Unbelievers cannot bear fruit to God because they are still bound to their sin natures. Only believers can bear fruit. Notice the analogy. Same thing we've been talking about. Freedom from the sin nature. Now I've listened to so many people talk and I've read so much and they just miss these whole things about the sin nature and how we can be free in Christ. And it continues on and it continues talking about other things but we, you know, we have a good understanding of now of what the baptism of the Spirit does in a person's life. What a fantastic ministry. So not only does it identify us with Christ in His death, His burial and resurrection, but this new life that we have been identified with it's fantastic because the person that we're identified with is the Lord of heaven. The first Adam was from the earth, from the dust of the ground. But the second Adam, Christ, is the Lord from heaven. We are identified with the Lord. Wow. The baptism of the Spirit is deep. It really is a very deep doctrine. And we won't be able to cover it all. But as we go forward, we're going to talk more about it. In fact, we're going to be studying in Ephesians chapter 3 next. And we're going to pick right back where we're, we left off. And we will discover a lot of these deeper doctrines. So stay tuned. We, we're coming back and, and that's where we're headed. So, But I want you to understand. Let me. Does anybody understand or not understand the baptism of the Spirit? Is there any questions about anything we covered? Does it make any sense? 
This is, do you see that that's what the Bible is actually saying? It's good. Good. Now, don't let it slip. Just because you heard this, doesn't mean you got it. Now, you want to go back and read it in the privacy of your own soul. And then put faith to this. Depend, rely, trust in this. So that it can transform your heart. And then once your heart is transformed, you will walk according to it as well. And the freedom that God has provided. So, I'm glad. Let, let's continue as uh, we, we close in prayer to think about these things. Don't let these things leave your mind. Go back, read them. Uh, but we got to close out tonight. That's the reasonable thing to do. Let's stand. We're going to have a word of prayer as we close. We are grateful, Father, for this glorious truth. This truth that liberates us from our sin nature and brings us into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. Lord, You have graced us out so much by giving us the knowledge of these things. We don't want to be ignorant of the work that You have done. For Lord, it is a fantastic work. We have been equipped by You, Lord, to perform good works, to bear fruit. Lord, these things cannot be brushed off or minimized. Lord, we want to magnify what You've done. We want to lift up Christ and all the work that has been done in our hearts and for the body of Christ. What benefits do we have, Lord? Tremendous assets that are ours just because we looked away from ourselves and believed trusted, depended on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just those simple truths, Lord, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Lord, we will begin learning about these things, uh, the results from these things throughout eternity. So, Lord, our hearts are thankful. We are appreciative of the tr fantastic, tremendous, marvelous, phenomenal grace that is ours the one body, the unity that we share in Christ. Lord, help us to recognize and respect You and what You've done in our lives. For these things we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.